Appendix to Chapters 9 and 10 of Ten Days That Shook the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ten Days That Shook the World by John Reed. Appendix to Chapter 9. 1. Military Revolutionary Committee, Bulletin Number 2. November 12th, in the evening, Kerensky sent a proposition to the revolutionary troops, quote, to lay down their arms, end quote. Kerensky's men opened artillery fire. Our artillery answered and compelled the enemy to be silent. The Cossacks assumed the offensive. The deadly fire of the sailors, the Red Guards, and the soldiers forced the Cossacks to retreat. Our armored cars rushed in among the ranks of the enemy. The enemy is fleeing. Our troops are in pursuit. The order has been given to arrest Kerensky. Tsarskoye Selo has been taken by the revolutionary troops. The Lettish Riflemen the Military Revolutionary Committee has received precise information that the valiant Lettish riflemen have arrived from the front and taken up a position in the rear of Kerensky's bands. From the Staff of the Military Revolutionary Committee The seizure of Gatchina and Sarskoy Selo by Kerensky's detachments is to be explained by the complete absence of artillery and machine guns in these places, whereas Kerensky's cavalry was provided with artillery from the beginning. The last two days were days of enforced work for our staff to provide the necessary quantity of guns, machine guns, field telephones, etc., for the revolutionary troops. When this work, with the energetic assistance of the district Soviets and the factories, the Putilov works, Abukhov and others, was accomplished, the issue of the expected encounter left no place for doubt. On the side of the revolutionary troops there was not only a surplus in quantity and such a powerful material base as Petrograd, but also an enormous moral advantage. All the Petrograd regiments moved out to the positions with tremendous enthusiasm. The garrison conference elected a control commission of five soldiers, thus securing a complete unity between the commander-in-chief and the garrison. At the garrison conference, it was unanimously decided to begin decisive action. The artillery fire on the 12th of November developed with extraordinary force by 3 p.m. The Cossacks were completely demoralized. A parliamentarian came from them to the staff of the detachment at Krasnoy Selo and proposed to stop the firing, threatening otherwise to take decisive measures. He was answered that the firing would cease when Kerensky laid down his arms. In the developing encounter, all sections of the troops, the sailors, soldiers, and the Red Guards, showed unlimited courage. The sailors continued to advance until they had fired all their cartridges. The number of casualties has not been established yet, but it is larger on the part of the counter-revolutionary troops, who experienced great losses through one of our armored cars. Kerensky's staff, fearing that they would be surrounded, gave the order to retreat, which retreat speedily assumed a disorderly character. By 11 to 12 p.m., Sarkoy Selo, including the wireless station, was entirely occupied by the troops of the Soviets. The Cossacks retreated towards Gatchina and Kolpino. The morale of the troops is beyond all praise. The order has been given to pursue the retreating Cossacks. 
From the Tsarskoye Selo station, a radio telegram was sent immediately to the front and to all local Soviets throughout Russia. Further details will be communicated. 2. Events of the 13th in Petrograd Three regiments of the Petrograd garrison to take any part in the battle against Kerensky. On the morning of the 13th, they summoned to a joint conference 60 delegates from the front in order to find some way to stop the civil war. This conference appointed a committee to go and persuade Kerensky's troops to lay down their arms. They proposed to ask the government soldiers the following questions. 1. Will the soldiers and Cossacks of Kerensky recognize the Tsayika as the repository of governmental power responsible to the Congress of Soviets? 2. Will the soldiers and Cossacks accept the decrees of the Second Congress of Soviets? 3. Will they accept the land and peace decrees? 4. Will they agree to cease hostilities and return to their units? 5. Will they consent to the arrest of Kerensky, Krasnov, and Savinkov? At the meeting of the Petrograd Soviet, Zinoviev said, quote, It would be foolish to think that this committee could finish the affair. The enemy can only be broken by force. However, it would be a crime for us not to try every peaceful means to bring the Cossacks over to us. What we need is a military victory. The news of an armistice is premature. Our staff will be ready to conclude an armistice when the enemy can no longer do any harm. At present, the influence of our victory is creating new political conditions. Today the socialist revolutionaries are inclined to admit the Bolsheviki into the new government. A decisive victory is indispensable, so that those who hesitate will have no further hesitation. End quote. At the city Duma, all attention was concentrated on the formation of the new government. In many factories and barracks, already revolutionary tribunals were operating, and the Bolsheviki were threatening to set up more of these, and try Gotz and Evskentiev before them. Dan proposed that an ultimatum be sent demanding the abolition of these revolutionary tribunals, or the other members of the conference would immediately break off all negotiations with the Bolsheviki. Shingariov cadet declared that the municipality ought not to take part in any agreement with the Bolsheviki, quote, any agreement with the maniacs is impossible until they lay down their arms and recognize the authority of independent courts of law, end quote. Yartsev, for the Yadinstvo group, declared that any agreement with the Bolsheviki would be equivalent to a Bolshevik victory. Mayor Schreider, for the Socialist Revolutionaries, stated that he was opposed to all agreement with the Bolsheviki, quote, As for a government, that ought to spring from the popular will, and since the popular will has been expressed in the municipal elections, the popular will which can create a government is actually concentrated in the Duma. End quote. After other speakers, of which only the representative of the Mensheviki internationalists was in favor of considering the admission of the Bolsheviki into the new government, the Duma voted to continue its representatives in the Vixhels conference, but to insist upon the restoration of the provisional government before everything, and to exclude the Bolsheviki from the new power. 3. Truce, Krasnov's Answer to the Committee for Salvation. Quote, 
In answer to your telegram proposing an immediate armistice, the Supreme Commander, not wishing further futile bloodshed, consents to enter into negotiations and to establish relations between the armies of the government and the insurrectionists. He proposes to the general staff of the insurrectionists to call its regiments to Petrograd, to declare the line Ligovo Pulkovo Colpino neutral, and to allow the advance guards of the government cavalry to enter Tsarskoi Selo for the purpose of establishing order. The answer to this proposal must be placed in the hands of our envoys before eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Krasnov. End quote. 4. Events at Tsarskoi Selo. On the evening that Kerensky's troops retreated from Tsarskoi Selo, some priests organized a religious procession through the streets of the town, making speeches to the citizens in which they asked the people to support the rightful authority, the provisional government. When the Cossacks had retreated, and the first Red Guards entered the town, witnesses reported that the priests had incited the people against the Soviets, and had said prayers at the grave of Rasputin, which lies behind the imperial palace. One of the priests, Father Ivan Kucherov, was arrested and shot by the infuriated Red Guards. Just as the Red Guards entered the town, the electric lights were shut off, plunging the streets in complete darkness. The director of the electric light plant, Lubavitch, was arrested by the Soviet troops and asked why he had shut off the lights. He was found some time later in the room where he had been imprisoned, with a revolver in his hand and a bullet hole in his temple. The Petrograd anti-Bolshevik papers came out next day with headlines, quote, Plekhanov's temperature 39 degrees, end quote. Plekhanov lived at Tsarskoi Selo, where he was lying ill in bed. Red guards arrived at the house and searched it for arms, questioning the old man. "'What class of society do you belong to?' they asked him. "'I am a revolutionist,' answered Plekhanov, who for forty years has devoted his life to the struggle for liberty. "'Anyway,' said a workman, "'you have now sold yourself to the bourgeoisie.' The workers no longer knew Plekhanov, pioneer of the Russian social democracy. 5. Appeal of the Soviet Government Quote, The detachments at Gatchina, deceived by Kerensky, have laid down their arms and decided to arrest Kerensky. That chief of the counter-revolutionary campaign has fled. The army, by an enormous majority, has pronounced in favor of the Second All-Russian Congress of Soviets, and of the government which it has created. Scores of delegates from the front have hastened to Petrograd to assure the Soviet government of the army's fidelity. No twisting of the facts, no calumny against the revolutionary workers, soldiers, and peasants, has been able to defeat the people. The workers' and soldiers' revolution is victorious. The Saika appeals to the troops which march under the flag of the counter-revolution, and invites them immediately to lay down their arms, to shed no longer the blood of their brothers in the interests of a handful of landowners and capitalists. The workers, soldiers, and peasants' revolution curses those who remain even for a moment under the flag of the people's enemies. Cossacks, come over to the rank of the victorious people! Railwaymen, postmen, telegraphers, all, all support the new government of the people. End quote. Appendix to Chapter 10 1. Damage to the Kremlin 
I myself verified the damage to the Kremlin, which I visited immediately after the bombardment. The little Nikolai Palace, a building of no particular importance, which was occupied occasionally by receptions of one of the Grand Duchesses, had served as barracks for the Yunkers. It was not only bombarded, but pretty well sacked. Fortunately, there was nothing in it of particular historical value. Uspensky Cathedral had a shell hole in one of the cupolas, but except for a few feet of mosaic in the ceiling, was undamaged. The frescoes on the porch of Blagoveschensky Cathedral were badly damaged by a shell. Another shell hit the corner of Ivan Veliki. Chudovsky Monastery was hit about thirty times, but only one shell went through a window into the interior, the others breaking the brick window moulding and the roof cornices. The clock over the Spaskaya Gate was smashed. Troitsky Gate was battered, but easily reparable. One of the lower towers had lost its brick spire. The Church of St. Basil was untouched, as was the great imperial palace with all the treasures of Moscow and Petrograd in its cellar, and the crown jewels in the treasury. These places were not even entered. 2. Lunacharsky's Declaration Quote, Comrades, you are the young masters of the country, and although now you have much to do and think about, you must know how to defend your artistic and scientific treasures. Comrades, that which is happening at Moscow is a horrible, irreparable misfortune. The people in its struggle for the power has mutilated our glorious capital. It is particularly terrible in these days of violent struggle, of destructive warfare, to be commissar of public education. Only the hope of the victory of socialism, the source of a new and superior culture, brings me comfort. On me weighs the responsibility of protecting the artistic wealth of the people. Not being able to remain at my post, where I had no influence, I resigned. My comrades, the other commissars, considered this resignation inadmissible. I shall therefore remain at my post." and, moreover, I understand that the damage done to the Kremlin is not as serious as has been reported. But I beg you, comrades, to give me your support. Preserve for yourselves and for your descendants the beauty of our land. Be the guardians of the property of the people. Soon, very soon, even the most ignorant, who have been held in ignorance so long, will awake and understand what a source of joy, strength, and wisdom is art." End quote. 3. Questionnaire for the Bourgeoisie. Ward number. Address. Family name. Christian name. Profession. House committee number. Sex. Age. Supplies on hand. Textiles. Arshans. For underwear. For suits. For overcoats. Other kinds. Ready-made clothes. Pieces. Overcoats. Winter, summer, fall. Dresses and suits. Underwear, shoes, rubbers. Monthly average, income, expenditures. Monthly rent, apartment, room. I, the undersigned, declare that the data given above is true, and that I have not received this card elsewhere. Signature. Signature of leaseholder. Moscow, 19, blank. Seal of the House Committee. 4. Revolutionary Financial Measure. Order. 
in virtue of the powers vested in me by the military revolutionary committee attached to the moscow soviet of workers and soldiers deputies i decree one all banks with branches the central state savings bank with branches and the savings banks at the post and telegraph offices are to be opened beginning november twenty second from eleven a m to one p m until further order two on current accounts and on the books of the savings banks payments will be made by the above-mentioned institutions of not more than one hundred fifty roubles for each depositor during the course of the next week three payments of amounts exceeding one hundred fifty roubles a week on current accounts and savings banks books also payments on other accounts of all kinds will be allowed during the next three days november twenty second twenty third and twenty fourth only in the following cases a on the accounts of military organizations for the satisfaction of their needs b for the payment of salaries of employees and the earnings of workers according to the tables and lists certified by the factory committees or soviets of employees and attested by the signatures of the commissars or the representatives of the military revolutionary committee and the district military revolutionary committees four not more than one hundred fifty roubles are to be paid against drafts the remaining sums are to be entered on current account payments on which are to be made in the order established by the present decree five all other banking operations are prohibited during these three days six the receipt of money on all accounts is allowed for any amount seven the representatives of the finance council for the certification of the authorizations indicated in clause three will hold their office in the building of the stock exchange ilyinka street from ten a m to two p m eight the banks and savings banks shall send the totals of daily cash operations by five p m to the headquarters of the soviet skobiliev square to the military revolutionary committee for the finance council nine all employees and managers of credit institutions of all kinds who refuse to comply with this decree shall be responsible as enemies of the revolution and of the mass of the population before the revolutionary tribunals their names shall be published for general information ten for the control of the operations of branches of the savings banks and banks within the limits of this decree the district military revolutionary committees shall elect three representatives and appoint their place of business fully authorized commissar of the military revolutionary committee s shverdin maximenko end of chapters nine and ten appendices